Listeners, bad news. We were watching the Mexico Grand Prix, but then we got distracted by melons. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 407 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friend and neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And um, good news, everybody. We survived the Mexico City Grand Prix. We, we, we just... Speak for yourself. <laughs> Barely. Like, we, we had to resuscitate Cam three times. It was a real struggle for him to get there, but he he, he made it through. Like, it's it's like that meme of the guy... Talking, who... I'm a ghost, dude. What do you mean? <laughs> you know how hard it is to wear headphones as a ghost? <laughs> That's the ghost of Cam Buckley. Happy Halloween to all those that out there that were celebrating. Hope you stayed safe out there. Uh, us Londoners did we were too busy literally launching fireworks at each other. It's a fun time. Th- that is a true story. Um, also, we got RJ O'Connell here. How's it going, big man? Uh, it's dude, it's it's gone. Uh, it's I can't believe we're almost to the end of racing season. We're wrapping up a Japanese motorsport season. Congratulations to Moki Nojiri, two-time back-to-back Super Formula champion of Japan. Congratulations to Team Mugen on your first team title. And by the time you're listening to this, we'll know who your Super GT Series champions are for 2022 as well. God, that's just going to leave us with Formula One left. Oh, so much dead rubber. So much dead rubber. So much dead rubber. So much. Like, we are almost home. MotoGP and NASCAR finish up this weekend coming up. Uh, the Decider, as MotoGP are desperately trying to get people emotionally invested in this. They're going to they're gonna try. 23-point gap, but they're going to try. NASCAR will get to them very shortly. Um, just two more F1 races to go. We're almost there. <laughs> it will be, too, because despite uh, the best efforts of people within Bolsonaro's inner circle, it looks like they are going to concede the election and that the Sao Paulo Grand Prix is still going to go on as scheduled. So now Jared Bolsonaro can go back to his main passion of contracting strains of COVID. <laughs> you know how low hanging that fruit was? It's already on the ground and wasps are eating it. <laughs> It was the lowest bar, and we, and we found the way to trip over it. That's that's amazing. It's just uh, like Bolsonaro dude. keeps tripping into the hospital with COVID. I know. Like, it's, it's, like, it's like Bolsonaro. It's the fourth time this week. I know. It just keeps happening. Um, I, I don't know how. <laughs> um, you about those stairs, bro. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. No, we kept the intro relatively tame for two main reasons. One, Mexico stunk. We're not going to beat around the bush here. We're honest with you listeners, okay? Like, Mexico City stunk. It kicked rocks. It was boring. It was... Like, Daniel Ricciardo was, like, the only man who was really trying to make this even semi-interesting. God bless him. He tried. And I don't mean necessarily in a good way. If we had to rate this um, via sports team right now, it's the Los Angeles Lakers. You fucker! Why? Friendly fire, Buckley. Friendly fire. Uh, Look, look. I could have said the Nets. I could have said the Nets, but I don't give. I I don't give comment to anti Semites. That's things are things entirely great in Brooklyn. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt our uh, our <laughs> basketball podcast with motorsport discussion. <laughs> yeah, like we're totally not going to be talking about NASCAR in a minute, but yeah, we'll talk about Mexico. We'll talk about Max Verstappen making history in a very unproductive fashion. Um, that'll be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll t- and of course, Red Bull can't help but continue to be the main characters. Um, there's a lot to this. Obviously, we got the cost cap punishment, and yet that was somehow only the second most I like toxic argument over the internet that was waged this week. Somehow. Don't ask me how we got to this point, but we'll try because, hey, Sky got boycotted, and that's funny, right? Right? Their coverage got better as a result. I guess. 
Everybody's well, a winner. Well, well, given what F1 TV was trying to peddle during the Grand Prix, the bar is resting somewhere between hell and the mantle of the earth. Cam, the mediums are going to fall off any second now. Any second they're going to fall off. Oh, yeah. Just a minute. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One minute. One minute 22s go burr. Pretty much. So we'll get into all of that shortly. But first, in this extended edition of the intro, we got to talk about Ross Chastain. Oh, we got to talk about what Ross Chastain. Let's lay it out. It's Martinsville Speedway. It is the Xfinity 500. It is the second to last race of the season. And it's also the last round of the round eight. Yes, the playoffs are still a thing in defiance of all good sense. But there's still a thing. And Ross Chastain with a lap to go, is running in 10th place. He needs to gain two places in order to score enough points. Need to two advance here. The, yes. Got to get him? Yeah, he's <laughs> got to get him. So there's a lap left around a half-mile a track that takes about 20 seconds to complete, and it's tough to pass here. It's a tight half-mile paperclip-shaped oval with one groove. Now, in most cases, some drivers would accept defeat. Some drivers might just bump one car out of the way, but that's still only one car. Ross Chastain does the coolest shit that I've seen at a racetrack in a while. He just hangs the throttle open, throws his car against the outside wall, and wall rides his way past five cars to finish in fifth, then gains another place after Brad Keselowski was disqualified for paling tech inspection after the race. He gets... He gets enough points to secure a place in the championship round at the expense of Denny Hamlin, his arch nemesis for most of the season. Uh, Amazing. (laughs) Now, if you've played any of the old EA NASCAR games on PlayStation 2, GameCube, or Xbox, or if you're a party pooper and you played the PC version where this is illegal, Everyone's tried this. <laughs> you know, you grab top gear, you mat the throttle, and you'd wall, <laughs> you just wall ride all the way around the corner. Can I just say, after Ross Chastain literally said, I tried that on NASCAR 2005 on the GameCube, I actually went and got NASCAR 2005 for the GameCube and started playing it some more. I tried that same move. That shit is hard. You scrub off it, so it, much lost. speed. You lost because of it. I was there. <laughs> I did. I was playing as 2004 Rookie of the Year Casey Kane, trying to close out one of the many wins that eluded him that season. I tried the wall ride move, and it backfired, and I lost by less than a second to Jeff Gordon. But that's neither here nor there. It still well, hurts less than Dover. Man, uh, you know my favorite part about this, besides the fact that on the onboard, you hear him grab fifth gear g- going into the corner. Oh, God. Yeah, NASCAR, NASCAR Cup cars now have five gears now, by the way. But he, uh, t- he grabs top gear, is holds it wide open. It's not that. It's the fact that all the spotters and all the drivers just kind of sat there. Wires connecting in their brain, trying to process what had happened. <laughs> just in all. It's like... It's like Chase Elliott's spot was like, oh my god, he actually went around the outside. It's just like, it's just, just like... Joey Logano gets around, holy cow, it does work! <laughs> it's like, holy shit, did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the supporter of the show, Sasha, had this on loop in our Discord for about six hours. Yeah. Fell and asleep, unironically, I watched it. I watched it for a while. <laughs> it's yes. something so ridiculous to watch that could only he has like 50 miles per hour on the field he broke the track record officially he broke the track record by a lot oh yeah <laughs> he, he he if that was his qualifying lap unironically he would have put all but three drivers into 107 <laughs> percent he would have put them out on that rule alone I, I, I'm watching the clip of the reactions in real time. Chase Briscoe says, holy shit, that's incredible. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick Hendricks said, "It's the I think it's the neatest thing I had ever seen until I realized that it knocked us out of the owner's championship. 
<laughs> I admire, I admire the honesty of, of Rick Hendrick on that one. It's like that's really cool. Shit. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> like Rick, somehow Rick- this, uh, <laughs> and somehow this incident distracted us from the fact that Ty Gibbs, in being a kinslayer and blasting his teammate out of the playoffs to win, is the Walking Dead. He is not going into Phoenix. There's one thing I can guarantee in this world. Ty Gibbs is not winning that championship. Nope. Someone is going to wall him. Dude, I love the uh, the ongoing uh, feud between Ty Gibbs and Noah Gragson supporters to tell each other who is the bigger nepotism baby. Although in this case, it's it's Ty Gibbs. In this case, the man the man literally pulled the well. Jesus was prosec- persecuted car once, and that's why I feel I'm justified in dumping my teammate to win a race in Martinsville Speedway. As but we're did. not gonna, but we're not gonna have several days of dialogue about Ty Gibbs having anger issues now, are we? No, no, never, never. Um, <clears throat> also, the coolest yeah. thing about like the one thing I want to say about the Martinsville move is this because I know. Kyle Larson was just like, ah, oh, that's that's cheap shit. First of all, Kyle, punch some drywall. You tried that move at Darlington. It didn't work. Uh, nobody, I don't think anybody is suggesting that this should be replicated at every NASCAR event because the spontaneity of it and the unexpectedness of it is what makes it so special. No, but the, pro- the problem is, RJ, because while Kyle Larson is chicken shit for saying that, he's probably not wrong. And NASCAR has said, well, it's within the rule book. It was racing for the win. We will see more of this. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. It's like, I I kind of look at it like, I look at it like the T-Rex car, right? Great car. Never bring it back. I look this at it like Alex and, I look at it like Alex and Artie's pass up the inside of Brian Hurd at the corkscrew. You would never do, you would never, no one would ever condone anything happening like that again going forward. But when it happened, it was completely within the rules. And NASCAR is explicitly not changing the rules. I personally feel. The place where we're having, we happen to be going to Phoenix, whose final corner kind of enables the same kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be shocked if somebody else. Somebody might try it, but the execution is what's the this for me is what the difference maker is on this. Like, I'd be shocked if anybody pulls it off as well as Chastain just did. Like, I'd, I'd be startled if somebody. You couldn't do it at you couldn't do it at a place that's like larger than a mile long. Like, right. if you tried that, if you tried oh, yeah. a wall ride yeah, at Daytona, you just you just completely ruin your race for nothing. Yeah, I got, oh, yeah. I got to I got to say before we move on real quick coolest overtake clip I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, we've decided to rename the Scotty Award the Golden Melon in honor of Ross Chastain's ridiculous maneuver and automatically give him the Scotty Award for overtake of the year. It's over. Nothing is touching this. Ever. Nothing. <laughs> Not Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone. Not Alicia Sparger on a MotoGP bike. Nothing is touching this. Nope. It's over. Uh, wrap it up. Uh, we, we, we're done here. The like, I'm actually like, don't get me wrong. I'm a newer NASCAR fan. I'm genuinely delighted that the series actually had a genuinely awesome viral moment to the point where people yeah, in that's other, the other series. Thing. Yeah. When does NASCAR make headlines nowadays? It, we talked about this. It's either a when someone almost dies, two when there's a fight. Three when they're when somebody gets racially abused. Four when somebody the does the when... racial abuse on an iRacing pickup game during the middle of a pandemic. What the point is that NASCAR <laughs> doesn't make headlines <laughs> nowadays for positive reasons. This is cool. If you're out here poo-pooing this in the moment as like a one-off thing, you should just go ahead and consider signing all of your posts with hashtag Blue Lives Matter because you're a fucking cop. 
And how could I possibly argue with that? Like, when Kevin Harvick says it's cool, you know that, you know, we, we've got something special here. Like, NASCAR's grumpy old man was like, yeah, it, yeah, we had the balls to do it. Fair play to him. <laughs> Basically, is what he essentially said. Kevin uh, Harvick is 206 years old. Kevin sh- Harvick is probably the last active driver from NASCAR 2005. Jason he was the cover uh- driver. <laughs> like all, all of that and like like daniel ricardo post like mick schumacher posted it on instagram fernando alonso retweeted it on twitter and said everybody's tried this on the video games so hey, like, fernando took a break from from pitching at the media for taking him out of context for for quotes that he said completely with context Exactly. The Fernando way. Um, We all got behind this one in a cool way. So well done, Ross Chastain. Well done, NASCAR. That shit was awesome. Should we talk talk about Mexico now? I think we have to talk about Mexico. Uh, We have to. Yeah. Find the show first. Yeah, okay. We're like, okay, in case you're not completely bored shitless yet, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. Um, yep, you could also check us out on our Instagram, motorsport101pod, for more updates there, and our website, motorsport101.com, for all of our content on there including bonus written content by yours truly including me not really talking about mexico well somebody said to me dre i bet you could write a race review about this race in under 400 words i was like bet 129 baby you count them because i did um so all of that and (laughs) (laughs) all of that and much more on our website motorsport worldwide and if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks lets you early access to all of our shows you can upgrade to 10 to get a list to get live access to listen to these shows live as they're being recorded also shout out to one of our brand new backers that is dom wings thanks for subscribing buddy Hope you enjoy the show. Let's get into the Mexico City Grand Prix. History made, but in the most predictable of fashions. Max Verstappen survived the 800-meter drag race into turn one against the two Mercs, led early on, and then took advantage of better-than-expected tire wear to drop in a utterly ridiculous 46-lap second stint on the medium tires to win by over 15 seconds over Lewis Hamilton with Sergio Perez completing the podium in third. A race so dominant that Verstappen lapped everyone up to seventh place. Daniel Ricardo, He's back! Huh? He got his head above water for once this season. With that result, Red Bull officially seals their best ever season. 14 wins for Verstappen, 416 points, both single season records, but 16 wins as a team, their personal best. Did you guys survive this GP without falling asleep? Because I didn't. The honest (laughs) answer was yes, we were all accompanying one another online. Uh, Mm. uh, Some notes about this race. Um, Mariachi themed F1 theme. That's awesome. it's, it's, It's pretty cool. I liked it. Uh, shout out to Dana Ricardo for trying his best to liven this one up. Although he did not need to just use Yuki Tsunoda like 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 a fucking. I'd like to hand in my Yuki Tsunoda uh, fan card. My comment is uh, too much agony. <laughs> if Daniel Ricardo was this confident in his car every weekend for the last two years, other than Monza, we would not be lamenting what could very well be the last races of one of the best drivers, at least in my view, that never won a Formula One title that I've seen in my lifetime. Where was this Daniel Ricardo since the start of 2021? Um, posting internet memes, smiling, smiling less, not smiling. No. <sighs> Like, dude, he was so miserable after the USGP. I was just like, I I don't, at this point, I don't even blame you if you just want to, like, go away from racing entirely and devote your life to just being, like, a full-time Instagram influencer or something. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be an extra on Pat McAfee's show by this time next year. No! (laughs) Hey, ESPN teased the idea of a Manning Cast-style presentation of Formula One. It could be a good gig for him if he wants it. 
Sure. He said he doesn't want it. No. You know, that 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 stint by Ricardo is very important, though, because he was one of the very few people that went from medium to soft. Because this race was split between what we thought was going to be two stoppers and the teams that were always going to do one stop like Mercedes. And let me yeah. tell you, cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug. <laughs> because the Red Bulls started on softs. The, the Mercs started on mediums. And everyone and their mother, mainly F1 TV, kept on saying, oh, well, Red Bull just doesn't have the pace to pull away from Mercedes to do a two stop. And track position is way too important with the sewage air in play at the altitude of Mexico City. These but cars thin couldn't sewage pass. air. These cars couldn't pass without even with ridiculous deltas. It was hard to pass. You know, they just kept saying, "Oh, Red Bull's going to need a second stop." Uh, I don't know how they're going to run down the. Oh, oh, they're just, they're just, they just kept going. Yeah, like the- James Hinchcliffe was the only one on F1 TV that was continuously mentioning, "Like guys, why would they stop?" Like they have, they can dictate the pace. They know that Merck's already going to stop once, and as long as Verstappen's pace isn't terrible on the soft tire to start off with, they could just keep going. The longer they can stretch it out, the better. And that's exactly what they did. They got to that They 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 got to that twenty five, changed to mediums, and didn't look back because by the time Merck's were on the hard tire, we we found out very quickly the Merck the the hard tire was a brick. Um, yeah, they had like two or three good laps on, and then they just couldn't keep it fired up. I mean, Max spent forty six laps pulling the gap to Lewis while also managing the tires so well. Other than a late VSC, he never left the one minute twenty twos. He sold out. He sold out his driving style. He's no longer fun anymore. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's a stint from the gods. Like we are not joking. Outside of the two VSC laps in question, every single lap was in the one twenty twos. Just unbelievable consistency. Just untouchable pace. Just it was like watching the get in Lorenzo. <sighs> It, it, it that was the comparison I was about to make. It looked like it looked like prime Lorenzo, just metronomic. And on a weekend where Mercedes actually were pretty good in this extraordinarily high altitude, yeah. they're not punished by the drag that normally uh, befalls their car, where they just have no speed in a straight line. They were fine in a straight line, albeit on the lower end of the spectrum, but they had enough lap time to challenge for pole for uh, for pole position. Mm. Uh, good job, Russell, on that final sector. Good Dude, job. It bud. was it was so close at the top of it was it was right up until the point where Max put three tenths on the field because yeah. Russell botched his final lap. Yeah, Max was the only but, person who improved on his final run, <laughs> but there was just nothing that they could do. Because the hard just couldn't stay fired up on either. And and they had extended the first stint a little bit with George. And George was asking, hey, the tires feel good. Let's extend so we can put softs on. Mercedes didn't roll the dice. If you're Mercs, knowing Ferrari was a dead haunt in this uh, race. We'll get to them in a minute. In a minute, yeah. Like, if you're Mercs, knowing that Ferrari had a, was a dead haunt and had no pace... What the hell have you got to lose? You've just Good seen Max Verst- you've just seen Max Verstappen do twenty five laps on a soft tire. Why not? I, I, I don't understand. Like Mercs have got this strange knack of being ultra conservative when they've actually got to win a race on strategy, and it's like <sighs> they're still not used to the fact that they can no longer just flip a switch and go run the field over. Yeah, because right. they used to make like they used to make like what would be perceived as like boneheaded strategic calls on strategy, but they were so fast that it just didn't matter. Mm. They basically did the same strategy in 2019. The difference was that they could generate so much lap time it basically didn't matter. And then once they got track position, uh, there was nothing that uh, there was nothing that Ferrari could do about them. Ferrari did uh, Pirelli just expect more tire drop off than there actually was. Uh, the, they said the top of the range for the medium was 35 laps. Max went 46 with basically no drop off in pace. 
Eat yep. Sola. If any- I'm sensing a pattern emerging here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was to the point where actually the hards, because they were sliding so much, were degrading more than the mediums. <laughs> this, oh. is just, this is just what Red Bull is this year, where even if they do not have the outright lap time, their car is such a Swiss Army knife when it comes to extend it they can almost adjust how they're driving to whatever strategy they need because the car is good at all of them yeah it's just i mentioned it during the during the um when we were watching the camera i just said it's not only verstappen who's got incredible pace but also incredible tire management but also just the fact that the car is so good and so versatile that it can run whatever strategy it wants and it's viable for all of them. As Cam quite rightly said, Pirelli reckoned this was going to be a dead-on two-stopper with an outside chance of a medium-hard one-stopper maybe being able to... Apparently, it was about one and a half seconds between them on strategy. They roughly calculated. Turns out the, the soft medium... Pirelli got it badly wrong on this one. Or... Just Max was just that good on tires. Either yeah, because I mean, even then, Perez's tire, his mediums were starting to give out near the end, and Max was just just clocking in. And, and Perez is normally the tire saving king. Yeah, and Perez couldn't stay with Hamilton in the end. <laughs> no. Um, Ferrari. Hey, you know, Oof. fifth and Ferrari fifth and sixth for most teams. That would be a pretty solid day. You know, Alpine would love to have fifth and sixth. McLaren would love to have fifth and sixth. But in the context of the season that Ferrari started with, especially, what in the world happened? Well, um, Ferrari spent this weekend, well, in hell basically. Mm. Uh, they were fighting with one hand tied behind their back because not only were their power units overheating. Because they run a relatively small turbo and they spin it very, very fast. Um, flashback to Austria when Carlos Sainz's car just literally exploded. Oh, yep. that was one of the best photo ops ever of the season. Just, just grenaded. That was the turbo failing because they were running it faster, faster than it could realistically handle in the high altitude there. While the high altitude here is significantly higher. And it meant that Ferrari's power unit was just not suited to the altitude. They were running it conservatively. They had temperature concerns, and they got the setup wrong, which meant that through the middle sector, mainly through the S's, the Ferrari was a death trap. felt like every time we would cut to a shot of Charles or uh, Carlos, it was them having to catch an almighty slide. We ain't joking about this altitude, by the way. Our mm. soccer people know that Estadio Azteca is a tough place to play in, and that's just right down the road from Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, which, by the way, shout-outs to the promoters for presenting the poll winner with a replica of the Rodriguez's brothers' helmets, Pedro and Ricardo. That was mm. pretty cool. That was cool. Extremely love, cool. Love the mariachi theme song of, of F1 for the weekend. That was a very cool touch. Um, that was neat. Um, but yeah, like the like this. Look, what's the, we we've managed to stretch out the better part of ten minutes talking about this race and stuff, and I'm impressed we even got that much out of it because there really wasn't much to talk about here. It was a, a there was a lot of intrigue. There was a lot of intrigue that ended up being boiled down to Max Verstappen being 2022 Max Verstappen. The pageantry was fun. It drew a great crowd. I just wish they got a better race out of it. Yeah, it's a shame because the, the fans are amazing. I remember I saw earlier in the race when Perez passed Leclerc and the roar you could hear from the main grandstands. They really do love Checo here. Um, you know, we got another mad dad celebration as well, which is always fun. Like, it, like everything about this Grand Prix was fun except the race itself. God. We we got the car lift back. We had Mad Perez Dad. You know we had you know Checo on the podium. We had you know a mariachi theme song band. If you ask Pierre Gasly, he loved the fact the grid girls are back. No Pierre, no naughty. Stop being horny go, on go, main. Go, go back to posting thirst traps. Yeah, and Yuki, <laughs> and Yuki, Sonoda, and Yuki photo dumps, um, etc. But um, 
yeah, this was a as, as RJ quite cleverly uh, edited in my script. This was a nothing burrito covered in mild sauce. Hey, don't you insult my level of spice when it comes to ordering Nando's? I'll have you know. Okay, <laughs> weak, understandable. Um, welcome to the Red Bull Podcast for another week. I know you love it when we talk about Red Bull. Um, because look, it's not our fault. These guys can't help but be the main characters. So they have more well, main well, character this- energy right now than the Naruto versus Neji fight. They got more main character energy than Goku still somehow being the main character of Dragon Ball Z, which was meant to make Gohan the main character. But that's besides the point. We finally got a resolution in Red Bull's cost cap uh, breach. Last week, the FA announced that Red Bull would be fined seven million U.S. dollars and receive a 10 percent deduction on their wind tunnel and CFD time for 2023. Christian Horner, team principal, reckons this would cost them between a quarter and half a second lap and an audacious practice conference on Friday morning from Mexico City. But in the end, this this end of the story is tied down. Was it a fair punishment for Red Bull Racing in the end, Drake? Um, look, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer here. This is an unprecedented situation. This is a brand new rule. Um, I said that the reaction to this rule break was always going to be on trial because you were ultimately determining whether this was worth breaking or not. Having read the FIA statement, having read now the confirmed and transparent details as to what went down with Red Bull, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think the sport just about got it right. I I, I think this was on the nose, I think. I agree. Um... For some added context, there was always a plea deal system in place. Red Bull took the plea deal. And and the moment you take the plea deal, that means that point deductions were no longer on the table. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, overall, in the context, Red Bull was about half a million US over. Yeah, they didn't apply their tax rebate properly. Uh, Big F's in the chat there. Yep. Um, you know, they shouldn't have ordered the the extra dip with that number six. I know, like the the number nine large really took him over the top. Um, look, I, yeah, <sighs> it's like I think a lot of the people displeased with this outcome fall into two groups mainly. The first. I get tired of bringing this up, but it's people with way too much Lewis Hamilton investment that are upset that the outcome didn't go their way. They read the Ross Brown quote from 2019 saying, if you overspend, you you lose your championships and thinking, see, see. And, and then the other group is like people with no investment or anybody who are just super sticklers for the rules. The rules should be enforced and they should be solid and rigid at all times. There should be no rigor room because we have to follow the rules. I don't really fall in either camp, though. I definitely feel like at least the minor, the threshold of minor overspending should be examined. Like, is 5% too much? Is 5% too little? Probably think it's too much. We'll see. It's at I least would a say test. So, of- I mean, this was this ended up being, because like, remember, 5% of the overall cost cap would be about... Um, 7 mil. What is that? About, about a little over 7 mil. 7 and a quarter. This, yeah. this was nowhere near that. It was technically half a million. And yeah. look, I can't sit here with clear conscience, with a clear conscience, and tell you, listeners, that I think someone who went zero point three seven percent over the cap on a one hundred and forty-five million dollar budget is worthy of having a championship taken off them. I can't get there. I'm sorry. Like, if you think I'm wrong, fair enough. That's your right. This is a, this is a, this is an unprecedented situation. You're more than entitled to believe that you, it, could, it could have been a harsher punishment. But let me say to you this: if you want to direct your anger at someone, it probably shouldn't be Red Bull. It should probably be every team in the paddock. Given this is what they agreed to when these rules were put in place, they agreed. The patients to- are running the asylum. Yeah, is what happens. Like you, if here's the thing, man. Like. The teams agreed to not only have a plea deal system in place if somebody went over, but also the mitigating circumstance of fines, which you know people have said, oh, why didn't the $7 million fine come out of the cap? And I'm like, well, because the teams agreed that fines wouldn't count. So 
Um, it's also the second biggest fine in the history of Formula One. You know the one that was above that? Oh, yeah. $100 million that got taken out of McLaren's wallet for for inter, for corporate espionage. An actual crime. Yeah. yeah. And, and those who are saying that, oh, it's only 10% of your wind tunnel time, that is enormous. That's you huge. want every hour in your wind tunnel that you can get, because keep in mind, it's not 10% of the overall allocation. It's 10% of Red Bull's allocation. Mm. So they are going to be down to about 63% of the overall value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that and that baseline is based off being in seventh in the championship. That's what the 100% yeah. cut line is. Um, Red Bull will walk it into the n- next season on 70% because you're on 30% less by default if you win the championship. So out of that 70, they lose another 10%. So rough math tells me they're at 63% of their allocation compared yes. to the baseline. And I think that's about 20% less than Mercedes are probably going to end up with. That is significant. On pace to be at about eighty uh, percent of the That's overall a, allocation. That is a significant difference. That's a huge difference in wind tunnel time. Like we cannot stress this enough. That's a few dozen. That's a few dozen hours in wind tunnel time. Yeah. When generally it'd be about um, the general median is around two hundred and fifty hours. Um, Rebel's going to be a bit below that. Every hour counts in the wind tunnel. Oh, yeah. Especially in in this case this year, Red Bull did not have an overwhelmingly dominant car until about mid-season. Right. And so while I think that it's not going to hit them as hard as it would otherwise, because frankly, at this point, if you're Red Bull, you've been working on the 2023 car for a while now. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the second half of 2023 and going into 24, it's going to be very interesting to see how it affects them. Yeah, I'm really curious. And, anyone, anyone thinking that this will lead teams to then abuse the cap deliberately? Nonsense. You're on crack. Nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Look at the context of what happened here. Red Bull, and by all accounts, the FI said this themselves, and I'm inclined to believe them. They said that Red Bull acted in good faith. There was no accusation or anything to suggest they had done this on purpose or or any influence they tried to game the system it was misunderstandings because Dre, yeah if we we know with the reports that they, the FIA actually went out of their way we we're, we we joked for quite a while about how long these reports were taking yeah these were very detailed and they explicitly yeah. broke down each and every area in which Red Bull and Aston Martin, let's not forget. Yeah, who yeah, went yeah. Over, we need to, who I know it's not on the set list, but we need to no, talk no, no. about the fact. No, no, no. <laughs> they over they went over on desks and chairs. What they a phenomenal missed. sport we we invest ourselves in. Amazing. Aston- <laughs> Shout out to King for pointing that one out when he was looking at the reports, because yeah, they mispriced tables and chairs. What a wonderful F1 team Aston Martin are. Brilliant. They're going to win six in the Constructors' Championship. They're going to win the ugliest rock fight for the bottom half of the league. But they broke down pretty much everywhere. Uh, I think it was 13 areas in which Red Bull had overspent or the FIA and the Red Bull disagreed on how the money was spent. And dead ass, catering was one of them. The sandwich jokes are real. Yeah. Good funk it. It's it's real. But like the, the point is the FIA took a lot of time to break this down because as people anybody will tell you, accounting is difficult. Trust me. And um yeah, like I can't sit here again. Look, I, I read the reports, I read what the FIA said. They said they acted in good faith. I'm inclined to believe them. If you think accidentally going half a million over the cap is worth 10% of your wind tunnel time. You're an idiot. <laughs> I have no other way of saying this. It is an incredibly silly mistake from Red Bull that's cost them dearly here, right? There's no there's no other way one like don't get me wrong, Red Bull have fucked up here massively to even be half a million over, right? They just they clearly misunderstood the cost cap. Now don't get me wrong, three teams did, because remember Williams got done for twenty-five thousand dollars earlier this season. 
for a procedural error, as did Aston Martin here. So everyone says, oh, well, Red Bull were the only ones who, 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 who went, you didn't get it. Like, no, three teams all screwed up in some capacity, right? Red Bull was the only one who definitely went over, right? And we're talking about an F1 team that was fined $650,000 because they couldn't price chairs correctly. <laughs> so they, they went with the Herman Miller chairs instead of the <laughs> IKEA chairs. So, oh, yeah, too many GTO Mega Racing seats. Um, Those but, aren't even good for your back. People have done the studies, no, like the race car chairs. They they look cool. They fucking look cool, but they are not good for your. That's good for your back. Is like a good, like ergonomically designed office chair that costs like sixteen hundred dollars. Of course, but um, no, look, I, I I will I can't sit here and tell you that this was worth the death penalty. And I think, as RJ quite rightly alluded to, I think a lot of people from the moment this rumor dropped back in Singapore, we're hoping that it was the last chance we'd get of what many people thought would be the rightful end to 2021. And that was Verstappen not winning the title and it going to Lewis Hamilton. And that was taken off the table the moment Red Bull took the plea deal. And some people are just a little bit too proud, I think, to admit that that's even a thing, you know? And, and I'm and like, everyone says that they're being a stickler for the rules. These are the rules. The teams agreed to them. Like in shocking news, the politicians that team bosses are may have wanted to create a failsafe just in case the trap door got pulled out from underneath them. Who the fought it? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, the inmates are running the asylum. Suck Any Ferrari up. supporters from around like three or four years ago can can definitely relate to this. Oh hell yeah! Guess what, guys? More Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. It never ends. It never There's so ends. much caffeine in here. Um, uh, so back on his Saturday Notebook show, was was this back at, did, did Kravitz, it's Ted Kravitz. This was in yeah, the US. Saturday. This was, this was in the Saturday Notebook, uh, that Ted Kravitz, Guy Sports veteran pick reporter, uh, made reference that said that Lewis Hamilton was robbed of his 2021 title. And in that whole spiel, also implied that Red Bull owed all their success to longtime car designer Adrian Newey. This is not necessarily a new thing. In general, if, if there is a dominant champion, people will complain that it's just they're just a product of a really good car. Car merchants. Uh, it led to Red Bull boycotting Sky Sports F1 for the rest of the weekend with Max Verstappen. Speaking of what he called constant digging by Ted Kravitz. Now, Christian Horner has since said that this will be a one-off by the team to send a message. So this indefinite boycott turned out to be just one weekend. Extremely uh, definite. I've got some thoughts on this. Dre, where do you sit on this? Was it right? Was it wrong? Keep in mind, we are just coming off of in MotoGP land where veteran rider Matt Otsley was basically given the cold shoulder by Ducati for calling them out on their bullshit. Yeah, see... It, this is a tough one. I think this is a tough one because a lot. Of, I think we as an audience have a very strange relationship with the media, i.e. we love the media, we love the information they give us, and we love the entertainment they provide for us right up until they say something you don't like. And then it all turns very nasty very quickly. Um, I think... Generally speaking, Ted Kravitz was always going to win this fight, first and foremost. Like, Ted Kravitz is awkward. He bumbles around. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And us as audience members clearly love him. He's been doing this for 25 years now. Yeah. He yeah. debuted he in comes across. He generally yeah. comes across as a pretty nice dude. Yeah, he's a good guy. I've never heard a bad story said about Kravitz ever. And he's well like He debuted for ITV in 1997. Like, that's how long ago that Kravitz has been doing this, which is to which, is to which I say, Kravitz knew exactly what he was doing here. You're like, like, you've not... He's been in the game for 25 years. He's seen the discussions on social media. He knows what's going on about Formula One and how the dialogue regarding this sport is discussed. He was poking a bear. He knew he was poking a bear. But we're praising him for it because a lot of us low-key agree with what Kravitz had to say. 
And that's what I don't like about this. I, I like, I, I don't like the fact that he used narratives that we have shit on before from a great height. Now, let me get this. Let me get one thing clear here, right? If you're saying that a car designer is the only reason a team has won anything, yes, that is a disrespectful comment. Red Bull has got over a thousand people working for them. They all come together to make their team a success. Yes, we care more emotionally about the drivers than most, because I've always said we'll always be more captivated by human stories than we do about engineering. That's just who yeah, we, we are we, as people. We all universal. A lot. Uh, most people universally shit on Fernando Alonso for implying that Lewis Hamilton never had to fight for any of his championships because he had the best car, and that happened the same week. Well, yeah, it happened the same week, same weekend. Now, like I said, the point I was getting at here is that Kravitz knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what buttons to push. And, of course, the internet for the majority of it was going to get behind him. Red Bull, who had already had the ridiculously over-the-top theatrics of Horner trying to talk about how big of a victim complex he has regarding Red Bull's cap hip, Cap hit. They were never going to get the benefit of the doubt regarding how anybody was going to discuss this ever. Because no, they are, they are the they are the pantomime villains of Formula One at this point, and they have reveled in it for years. Yeah, look, they've had to lean into it. They, they've not had a choice in the matter because they've been a walking fucking PR disaster for the last two years. They've had to sack racist members of staff. They've had their star driver come out with ableist and racist slurs. They had to sack Yuri Vips. Helmut Marko is still on the payroll. Jos Verstappen is still on the payroll. Nelson Piquet's around as part of Max's extended family. There's no getting around it. Red Bull are never going to get looked at in a positive light in the grand scheme of Formula One ever again. They're not so, getting the benefit of the doubt on a month of Sundays. And James, for, James and, Elson said it best in his column for Motorsport Magazine. For Stappen, the driver who prompted the Mongolian government to request UN invention for twice using racist language on team radio, for which he refused to publicly apologize, has now decided that's it. Ted Kravitz, the man in the shorts and sandals, he's gone too far. <laughs> he's not wrong he's not wrong no. for what it's worth no, he and, isn't. and look the thing is Red Bull's got a point like as I mentioned before the Newey comments are disrespectful and Sky have beaten this narrative drum before that's the most important man in Formula 1 Yeah, not the he one said, with the blonde hair he said that minutes after Sebastian Vettel had become just at the time the second man in history to win four consecutive world championships. Like in the middle of his title celebrations, he said that about Sebastian Vettel. In a narrative arc where everybody would still was even even in 2013, people genuinely thought Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso at the time were better drivers than him purely because of how good the Red Bull car was. That was the overarching narrative of the end of the V8 era. It's a tale as old as time, my dudes. It's like, I, as a child of internet forums of teen, as soon as, soon as we don't like the like, guy winning, as soon as we don't like the guy winning or there's any question mark about his ability, he gets devolved into a car merchant. Nobody likes a winner when they win too much. Sebastian Oje, a merchant of Volkswagen's Polo R. Sebastian, Sebastian Bourdain, Oje, who of- then, Sebastian Oje, that same car merchant who has since decided to win in every car the WRC has to offer. Sebastian Loeb, merchant of good Citroen cars. Sebastian Bourdain, man, there's a lot of Sebastians. Uh, a merchant of a weak champ car field. Jimmy Johnson, a merchant of Chad Knauss going in the black area in the NASCAR rule book. It's it's it, this it argument's been reheated many, many, many times. Uh, and Sky, well, they don't have an exciting championship fight to sell. They got to stir up intrigue somehow. And they're just yeah. and they're just in Ted's ears. Looks like, hey, man, could you wind some people up? And look, here's the thing, man, like. It's not the first time they've done this. Remember, they also played a Christmas advert last year on their own Sky Sports Network that replayed Verstappen going into the Silverstone Barricade at 51 times the Earth's gravity. Um, Quite rightly, people were pissed off and the commercial was pulled. Sky are not blameless in this. I don't care what you tell me. 
right? It just like, feels like a, on on both sides, it feels like a whole lot of, well, your wrongs don't make a right, but mine just might. That's what it feels like. And look, Red Bull, like I said, Red Bull are never going to get the benefit of the doubt, and they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Let me make this clear for the Not way they've got the way they've gone about themselves in the last year. You just basically had to admit that you cheated in front of the world's media. You don't get to play the cards you're playing, Christian, and get away with it. There's no getting around that. However, I will also say it's a bit more complicated than that. I would like to say that Sky are not blameless in this. Sky know exactly what they're doing. Unfortunately, Sky are also a privately owned broadcaster that have no that have no obligation to be impartial. They just don't. They have no then they don't have to pander to Ofcom. They can be as biased as they like and trust me, if you watch any British sports broadcast of a global event or an international level event, we are biased as fuck. It's what we Brits do. Like, and the problem, and the problem with that, at least elsewhere, is the fact that we used to have our own F1 broadcasts. I still miss Steve Matchett and David Hobbs and our boy Varsha. In in general, I think um, the Murdoch family should never get the benefit of the doubt on a, a, a lot of things. Never, <laughs> never, never, ever. They're as bad as each other. Quite frankly, and but here we are, but, and but it means that uh, it means that globally, because Sky does the world feed, we all have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. There's no getting around it. They, they like in 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 their eyes, Cam, your collateral damage for being American and tuning in. Tough shit, buddy. Um, and and unfortunately, that's how we Brits are. If it's the Olympics. It'll be Dina Asher-Smith, it'll be Adam Peaty. If it's the Winter Olympics, it'll be Elise Christie that gets all the hype in the world. We've got a World Cup starting in two weeks' time, football-wise, and it'll be England, it's coming home, et cetera, et cetera, all over again, just like we had last year. Our family, our art Senate family of Brits and Americans going to tear each other apart on Black Friday. Oh, baby. <laughs> we might have to make this a fucking charity scream. So, you know, oh, no. so... So that'll be fun, but um, the like this is annoying on all parts. The, to the point, where, and of course, you know what's going to happen if Sky get boycotted. Of course, the rest of the British media had to fucking jump in and lump in their two sets, like Matthew Said over at the Times, who is not a good writer and wrote an objectively questionable piece. Regarding, he wrote a piece effectively saying that, well, your mental health struggles don't matter. Which is just bullshit. Because you're part of Red Bull, which is complete nonsense. That, that, that would be nonsense directed at anybody. We, the, and so I'm sorry, the way this sport's been discussed in, in dialogue, trying to make out that Christian Horner is the reason why Red Bull's name is being tarnished across the sport, it's not as simple as that. Remember Zanvoort? Remember that time that the, the Hannah Schmitz got ran off of Twitter for a screenshot that was taken out of context that Lewis Hamilton's fan club had to post an apology and then delete the apology because LH's hardcore fans thought they were not like, that's not me. That wasn't, that wasn't me talking about that. We're not saying that any, any of this is as bad as the racism that Lewis Hamilton has suffered in, in his career. However, Anyone with half a brain cell who's regularly on Twitter will know it is not as simple as saying, oh, well, Red Bull's done this, this, and this. They've bring, they've brung the sport into disrepute. No, we've all brought the sport into disrepute because all of us like being the main characters when it comes to Formula One discussion. Abu Dhabi 2021 was the final piece of the puzzle towards the footballification of Formula One dialogue because... It's all football now. It's all L plus ratio. It's all, well, Colt LH posting their Ls. It's all, you know, let's not forget the fact that Red Bull's a bit racist, you know, and it goes on and on every time there's a major conflict, which, by the way, in this community happens about once a week. And, and to a degree that you never see in any other major sports. That's the other thing, too. It's like every time every time an article discussing anyone on the sharp end of the grid comes out, there is immediately 40 people in the comments spilling their guts about how awful insert name here is. Yeah, 
It's a game of nastiness. And I've always said sports fandom is built off hate. But with us, it goes one stage further. It's like concentrated hate. It's like we're all just sitting there waiting for the next axe to grind so we can be deliberately dickheadish on purpose because we know there is no consequence towards being that way on the internet. If anything, people have harbored thousands of Twitter followers by being this way. People love this shit. We've become the main characters. Like, and like, none of this is to exonerate, like, just to exonerate Red Bull and what they've done and how they've been. But they are a piece in the puzzle of an overall fucking mess of a situation as to how this sport is discussed. So the, if we're retweeting pages from the fucking Telegraph, the biggest Tory shit show of a British paper we have in this country, something has gone badly wrong when we're just using it as ammunition to dunk on Max Verstappen, rightly or wrongly. The whole thing has become a fucking cesspit. In general, I would like to get to a point where F1 Twitter is no longer a main character in every Formula One conflict. But, you know, I think that uh, nepotism baby that just bought the platform, he's going to make it all better for for $7.99 a month. Oh, fuck off. No, and one more thing before I get out of here. I don't know why we get so uppity about this. Red Bull have got every right not to talk to a media company they don't like. They have not got a divine right to talk to anybody. Whether you disagree or agree with the reasons or not, there is not some wholly divine right that a team has to talk to the media. Sky are not the good guys here. You don't have to start twerking for the fucking Murdoch family. Case in point. Yeah. Red Bull, the best thing they can do right now is shut the fuck up and drive. Like, people say, don't the best like thing, you. You know what the best thing is they can do? Just keep winning. Yeah. Okay, drown drown it out by t- they are on track to if they finish out undefeated, they will equal McLaren's consecutive win record at 11 from 1988. Yeah, that McLaren. Mm. Look, just shut up and drive Red Bull. Honestly, like you're the best team in the sport and you have the best driver in the world right now. That enough will piss people off. You're not going to be liked. That you've just got to accept that at this point. Yeah. When when it was the when it was the era of Ferrari International Assistance in the early two thousands, they, they, they didn't get they didn't get this sensitive about it. You know, Ferrari they, they just uh, took the feedback, laughed in everybody's face, and ran a, uh, ran up the score. I would say when Ferrari got screwed by a deliberate rule change in two thousand five. And they had the opportunity to rub it back in F1's face. We got to see a six-car race at Indianapolis. Because mm-hmm. Ferrari decided, no, we are going to drag the sport through the mud. And everyone's going to know who's responsible. I think you touched the nerve there, Cam. <sighs> just well, just let's go. Let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about something happier. Uh, Sao Paulo is going to be happening next weekend, and good news—it's a spring weekend. We love those. Let's get to uh, let's talk about something happier. Sprint weekends. Yay! Places you can find us. Uh, <laughs> don't forget as well. MotoGP season finale is this weekend. It's the decider at Valencia. Would it be Francesco Bagnaia? Yes. Um, that will be. <laughs> Next weekend, that'll be episode 408 next week, uh, the MotoGP season finale from Valencia. You might throw in a bit of the test talk in there as well, because that's a, that's bound to come up a little bit as well. But yeah, uh, next week, MotoGP season review. That should be fun. Next week as well, Brazilian Grand Prix will be the week after that. So yeah, we're coming down the stretch, folks. We're almost home. We're, we're nearly there t- towards the end of the motorsport year in 2022 but we just got a couple more f1 rounds to go now can we please have mummy and daddy stop fighting for a week maybe no okay youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter and motorsport underscore 101 personal handles at harrison 101 hd at c buckley 917 at rj o'connell um patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 if you want to back us financially on there and website motorsport 101.com for all of that information 
read my shit. I wrote about in the Mexican Grand Prix. I wrote uh, in a lot more detail about this Red Bull situation. And I honestly think it is about the fairest assessment that exists on the internet. Stop clicking the fucking telegraph, you Tory pricks. Um, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. Until next time, we'll see you at the Decider. Take care. bought my hail melon shirt they don't ship to the united kingdom you know how pissed off i was when i found out about this did y'all see the chastain pass at martinsville on the final lap this weekend <laughs> <laughs>